Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and I'm in the home studio today. We've got a great guest for you. I'm wondering if I can ask you this question, listener, is trying to be the best you actually ruining you? From living your best life to self-actualizing, finding your destiny, and waiting on the best to come, the contemporary messages of the world exhort us to believe that we are promised and entitled the biggest and best life can possibly offer. But is that actually what Jesus promises? Is that even close to the message of the gospel? In his new book, Getting Over Yourself, Trading Believe in Yourself Religion for Christ-Centered Spirituality, Dean and Sarah calls for Christians to reject these hollow messages of personal prosperity and to return to the humble truths of the gospel. You'll learn how to identify this insidious popular theology in in our culture and in our churches and examine its devastating effects. And perhaps most importantly, you'll learn how to combat it with gospel truth that leads to the abundant life Jesus actually desires for his people. Discover the beauty in losing yourself and ultimately in gaining him. Dean and Sarah is the founding pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida, and author of The Unsaved Christian, and now the book he's here to tell us about today, Getting Over Yourself. Dean, welcome to the program, brother. Hey, Jared. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I guess I should say welcome back, because I think you've been on before to talk about yes. unsaved Christians. Yeah. Yes, and it's our, uh, you know, maybe biannual uh, Patriots fan gathering of uh, the SBC <laughs> all, all two of us. So Yeah. Well, as I told you in the uh, before we started recording as well, I, I wish so my camera's not working, but because we share this this uh, love for the goat, I, I have this shrine in my home office, uh, and it's it's my backdrop. So when most people are pulling up on Zoom and everything else, right, they have all their books everywhere, and I have a lot of books in here as well, but you just can't see them on camera. But what I do have is my. Tom Brady signed mini helmet and some um, old prints of him and, and a framed uh, um, early uh, football card of his. And so I just have like this little uh, idolatry corner, I guess. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love you. You actually have in the bio. I saw this when I was reading the uh, the bio on on Amazon. It's not on the back of the book. I have the book in my hand here. But on your Amazon bio, you actually have a reference to Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get away with that? I don't know. They just went with it. <laughs> they, just, they just said, "All right, you're the author." Yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah. So I said, "I I believe that Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time, but I also respect your right to be wrong." There you go. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. It's very tolerant of you. It's, there it is. Maybe it's a, for the people, man. There's probably a good segue in that to the to our subject today of just the expressive individualism and being your best you, maybe. Hey, you're a. Um, I have to take the opportunity also to say you're a Midwestern grad. I am. As well, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, very proud. I absolutely love Midwestern Seminary. I'm thankful to be a graduate and glad to be uh, identified and associated with the school. And I love not just saying that because I'm on this podcast. I really mean that. Uh, just, <laughs> just, just uh, some awesome things going on there. And I'll, I'll be back out for the church conference in the fall. And can't wait. To be oh, excellent. Campus. Yeah, can't wait to be on campus. I love, love going out there. Man, it's going to be a great time as well. I, I, I've missed being able to conference with people, <laughs> but believe it or not, for a while I was, a, I was conferenced out, but leave it to COVID to make me itch for conferences again. <laughs> yes. I'll be excited. I'm with you. Yes. I'll be excited to come back. Good deal. Hey, all right. So let's talk about getting over yourself, finding, uh, trading, sorry, trading, believe in yourself, religion for Christ centered 
Christianity. What what is it exactly that you're trying to tackle in in this book? I think we really need to be aware of really what I call the gospel of self fulfillment. Okay. That really God's chief purpose on earth is to help us reach our ambitions and our and our happiness in the moment. And I really think we have a discipleship crisis upon us with this. Like in, in, in the unsaved Christian, I said, hey. This is an evangelism issue, not a discipleship issue. All these people who think they're Christians and aren't. I said, well, so right. with this book, it's different because I really think we have a discipleship uh, crisis. And I'm not trying to be overdramatic using that word. I really think it's a crisis, but it hasn't quite hit us yet because we haven't seen the results of it yet. Uh, because we're still kind of in that first generation that has fully gone all in with what I call the Instagramification, <laughs> Instagramification <laughs> of Christianity, uh, where uh, really the, the card deal, really only sin out there is what they would call settling or being ordinary or just kind of living a basic life and how the basic life, the mundane, the routine, the ordinary uh, is really frowned upon because God has something better for you. God wants to unleash your potential. Uh, God has a destiny inside of you. He wants to release and fulfill and all this this message that so many young people are flocking to, especially I'm old enough now where I can say young people, but, uh, the thing, but that's like if I never say those words. But uh, but what makes me worried is a lot of our tribe, you know, we're just thankfully just so immersed in just such great Christ-centered preaching and resources and podcasts and books that I think that we see a lot of these pastors of what I, this new prosperity gospel that I call it. Uh, we kind of see them as fringe or just kind of roll our eyes at them, or maybe even make fun of them more than we should or, or something along those lines, but fail to realize the massive influence they have. I mean, yeah. a million plus Instagram followers, you know, leading Christian podcasts and downloads their sermons. And so many people are just drawn to it and captivated by it. And we have a real issue on our hands. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, not to just get into too many names or anything, but you're talking about sort of like the Rachel Hollis's of the world and and folks like that, yes? Yeah, I would say Rachel Hollis. I would say um, a lot of just kind of what comes from uh, the movement with Glennon, Do- Glennon Doyle. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of her, I mean, massive reach and influence. Her Christian, I'm putting quote signs in the air, air quotes, her Christian conferences and her uh, just her uh, influence and her blogging and Instagram. I mean, we're talking about reaching masses. And there's a lot of pastors too. Uh, and that what I call the pop Christian pastor world. And what makes it different than the old prosperity gospel is that's so easy to detect. I'm not trying to say there still aren't lots and lots of people who are drawn to it that it isn't problematic, but but it's very much we can almost view it as we know what it is. It's the guy on late night TV. Call this number at the bottom of the screen. We're gonna hand. We're gonna send you a prayer cloth in the mail, and God's gonna drop a Mercedes in your front lawn and heal you of your disease and that kind of thing. And it's really kind of cheesy and kind of creepy and weird. This is the opposite of that. This is like savvy and cool and hip and branded and amazing graphics and, you know, camera and everything you could imagine. Uh, so it, it, so it's like a cooler, but they're almost preaching a very similar message, but it's so much cooler and way less French. Yeah, uh, so I want to talk about that uh, yeah. uh, for a second, because throughout the book, you you refer to this as kind of the new prosperity gospel or the new prosperity church. What what is it? Uh, how is it similar to the prosperity gospel that we might be, you know, as you just said, more familiar with the kind of televangelist sort of thing and the, um, yeah, the TBN sort of, you know, tribe, um, you know, health wealth deal. How is this? Um, yeah, how is it similar to that when it can look, you know, slicker and 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 more hip and and younger? Yeah, definitely younger. Yeah. So I think where it's similar is that God functions as that type of genie 
you know, you know where God's existence, God's existence really is centered around you, <laughs> where you just kind of have to, your job is just to show some faith and just believe a little bit more and just kind of hope for these things to happen. It really is sort of a, um, you know, Dorsey and the Wizard of Oz closing her eyes and clicking her slippers together and saying, there's no place like home. Uh, instead, <laughs> you just kind of, you just kind of, you know, kind of unleash God is kind of how it's viewed. Uh, so that's, so that's similar. Uh, where it's different is the old prosperity gospel was very much about maybe material things and like things that happened to you that you needed. If that's um, money, a new car, a new house, maybe even heal from a disease, that those were the focuses. This is not that. This is more focused on how you feel. Uh, mm. This is on your personal happiness. Uh, this is on you feeling really just self-fulfilled in the moment. And it's really what makes it another very troubling is it only really makes sense for affluent Western culture people. Right. Like, I don't know how this would translate to our brothers and sisters who are in a third world persecution right now or in North Korea or, you know, wherever it may be or who are. I I just don't know how it would ever translate. And really, the reality is it doesn't. Uh, But that's so where this really finds success is it doesn't come across as cheesy. It comes across as super cool. But. It just sprinkles some God language and some out-of-context Bible verses on it, and it makes it sound like it's Christian, and people buy into it hook, line, and sinker. And where I'm worried is, uh, and besides the fact that I think it's some serious false teachings, uh, that's another conversation, but I, I worry for, for people and just caring about individuals is I'm afraid it's going to set them up for a, a faith crisis. Yeah. Because what's going to happen is all of a sudden they're going to find themselves 35 years old and they're living an ordinary life. <laughs> and that ordinary life is, you know, maybe you only live 10 miles from where they grew up and they work a basic job that gets them to a pension and they have a spouse and a few kids. And it's just the same old thing every day where I think um, that's actually glorious and where disciples are made <laughs> and where faithfulness happens. But that's really viewed as settling. And that's like the ultimate cuss word in the new prosperity gospel is settling. <laughs> And, and settling would be anything that isn't what you dreamed of when you were 22 and that not happening for you. Yeah. Is, is Joel Osteen, do you think, kind of a bridge between the old prosperity and the new prosperity? Because, I mean, you know, he really came about in that sort of name it and claim it, you know, theology, but has really brought this kind of, you know, self-actualization or expressive individualism into into the mix, it, it, you know, are there other roots or, 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 or influences beyond him? If you agree, if he's a yeah, kind of a bridge, you know, I'm kind of mad at you right now because I could have okay. used this about a year ago and I wrote the book and I could have had a chapter <laughs> called the bridge. Oh, <laughs> and it could have been all about <laughs> Osteen's contribution to this. Yeah. Uh, just, it just kind of hit me as you said that. I, I mean, I, I thought about him obviously, but in terms of him being the bridge between the old and the new, that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that, yeah. Well, the book for sure. I, mean, I talk about, you know, living your best life now or your yeah. best life now, his book. And, and that definitely has an influence on this. But again, Osteen can still be in their eyes, not be very cool, you know, not, not, not be uh, somebody you're going to throw on Instagram. But his sure. quotes and his, his quotes and his messaging, his books uh, really is, uh, I could, you could almost say, the, the foundation uh, of the new prosperity gospel. So Osteen likes to take principles from the old and then put more of a kind of Oprah kind of Oprah meets Mr. Rogers kind of language yeah. on it. Uh, so, I mean, for, I, I would say right now, kind of the, if there was a Pope of, uh, of the new prosperity gospel, I would say it's probably Stephen Furtick. Okay. And, and, uh, and we're starting to see uh, what I what makes me worry is 
churches that have kind of maybe been churches where we go, hey, you know what? We're not like fully on board. I wouldn't be a member there, but like we're cool and we're with you. We're on the same team. Uh, and by same team, I mean more tribal than full kingdom, you know, kind of team. Uh, now I'm starting to see more and more just kind of drift towards it. And that's not me being nitpicky. I'm not one of those theological watchdogs or anything like that. But it's starting to see churches that just kind of buy into it. And because of uh, the the greatness and the success of their music and the quality of it, the excellence of it, and uh, it, that that sucks a lot of people in. And before you know it, they want their churches to look like that. And, and it's a real big problem. Like, I don't care about your style. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not, you and I are friends. You know, I'm not very big on those kind of things. You call me your attractional ministry friend, you know, so like, I, I'm not someone that like, I'm, I, we have lights here, and we have a big band and, you know, all those kind of things. I'm just very open handed on those kind of things. We could be a traditional style tomorrow and I'd be fine. Uh, I'm worried about the messaging. Again, yeah. I, I have not one negative thing to say about, about the styles. That is not mad. That does not matter to me. It's the messaging and the messaging that's being proclaimed is that you have this great potential inside of you and God wants to unlock it, not for his mission, <laughs> not for the great commission to go forward, but basically because he wants to make you a better you and the best is yet to come. And I'm going, what happens if that doesn't work out as you're promising? Like what's going to happen to these people? And you've just won them with a gospel that is a self-fulfillment gospel, which in my mind means, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to be unfair, that you've won them to a self-fulfillment gospel. So right. I'm not unfair. I just quote in the book. I got to say, hey, here's these people have said, and here's, I, mean, I'm, I'm, I represent them fairly uh, in context. And this is a big problem right now for discipleship in our churches. Yeah, you, you mentioned Oprah, which I think is pretty significant, too, because there was a difference between, not to just keep harping on Osteen, but, r- right, like, she would have never had Benny Hinn on her, you know, program. She never would have had Creflo Dollar. Well, maybe she would have had Creflo Dollar. I don't know. But um, it, it's notable that Osteen is the, you know, prosperity gospelist who ends up on Oprah. And then you create this kind of perfect storm for, yeah, the kind of self-helpy, um, approach to the prosperity gospel that, that you're describing in your book that in a, in a way has a, has a much uh, further reach or maybe more insidious reach than the old style name it and claim it stuff, the old style prosperity gospel to where it even is like ending up in, in so many different tribes. So, you know, the contemporary church environment, the progressive wing, you know, I mean, it's, it's, when when you start hearing you know Osteen type stuff from Rob Bell, who you know fifteen twenty years ago we would have put them on sort of on opposite ends maybe or or <laughs> you know I mean we you know we would have yeah. put them both kind of outside our camp maybe but we wouldn't have considered them similar and now they're somewhat similar oh yeah they're, they're in this same kind of <laughs> constellation which is just so strange so tell us Dean um you know we understand kind of I think superficially why this stuff is attractive it, it speaks to you know, building ourselves up or or being great or tapping into our dreams. And it's attractive because it's younger and hipper and it has, you know, slicker and 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 utilizes media in a way that the older stuff didn't. But spiritually speaking, what's going on underneath the surface? Why is this stuff so attractive to our hearts and 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 to our souls? Because it allows us to have a connection to faith and religion and even God in our own eyes, and also maybe uh, feel good about ourselves that we go to church or to listen to a sermon or I read a Christian book without really having the gospel confront us, you know, without really having conviction happen. You're not going to hear sin talked about very often. You're just going to hear the word brokenness 
Not that brokenness isn't a biblical reality in a biblical category. Again, I'm not saying people aren't, I'm not, I'm not trying to say they're unbelievers. You know? yeah. I'm just trying to say they're way off base here and it's affecting a lot of people. You're not going to hear about sin, you're going to hear brokenness. The issue is, oh, we're just so broken. And so the authenticity, people love that word in the new prosperity gospel. Not that it's a bad word. Like, we all care about authenticity, but it's defined as just kind of all of us sit around in a circle going, oh, we're just so broken. We're just so broken. It's like a broken party. You know? and, then, <laughs> right. and, and, and the answer is that God basically wants to pick you up by the bootstraps. And he's given you these setbacks in your life so you can make a great comeback. Uh, and by that, it means to go, from, go, you know, be what you want to be, you know, kind of to fulfill your dreams and to go live your, your best life. There's your hosting language. Uh, so that's appealing because I don't have to deal with the confrontation of sin, the conviction of sin. Uh, I'll, instead, I just can have my sort of faith experience, have all the feelings that come positively with being a part of a church experience and be inspired. Who doesn't want to be inspired? Right? Right. So it inspires people to go do these great things. And I'd even say things like, you know, the old Elliot quote, you know, attempt and well, I forget exactly how it goes, but attempt great things for God or do great things for God something along those lines. And it's like, amen. But Elliot's context for that was the Great Commission, right? It was it was the mission. It, it wasn't landing an internship in New York City, you know, which, which if you want to land an internship in New York City, rock on. And I hope you do it. But God yeah. promises that's a reality for us or that he's in the business of making that happen for us. Yeah, the key phrase in that 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 uh, you know proverb or in that quote is is probably for God, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. The, well, yeah, well, so so they'll but they'll attach that language onto it. But it's kind of like it reminds me of the, the John the Baptist encounter. If anybody had you know this, the New Prosperity Gospel loves the word platform. It's one of their mm. favorite words in the entire world: platform, platform, platform. And so, if anybody had a platform, it would have been John the Baptist. I mean, maybe he's a little weird, and but he definitely had notoriety. In fact, people were confused, thinking they were getting baptized into his name. So here, Jesus comes on the scene, and he doesn't go, "Behold, the life coach," <laughs> you know, "Behold, the, <laughs> the motivator." Right? He he says, "There's the Lamb of God," and his and his response to that, like his response to the Messiah being in front of him, was, and all our listeners know this: it's that. He must increase. I must. Dis- I must decrease. Well, every pop Christian—I call it pop Christianity too—but every pop Christian New Prosperity Gospel person I know would amen the reality of Jesus increasing. They just want to do it with them. <laughs> so it's like, yes, <laughs> it's like, yes, Jesus increased. Just take me with you. you know? Right. Platform, notoriety, followers, influence, status, and, and really, where you're seeing it play out the most, I would say, is an influencer culture on Instagram. Uh, if, if you, I don't know if our listeners are familiar with that, but those social media influencers, a lot of them would claim to be Christians. And I believe they are. I'm not saying they aren't. Uh, but the language they use is this pop Christian language. And they're really attractive and really savvy and really good at what they do. And they can do it all along the way by using some basic faith language out there so that other people go, oh, okay, this is what I aspire to, too. I want to be all these things that person is. So hence the word influencer. And somehow we've tied all those things to Jesus' name about us being more successful and being prettier and being better and all these type of things. And it just makes me really, really uneasy because I don't think that's the way of the cross. Yeah. And and what I notice amongst some of them is once the thing starts to take off, you begin to see less and less explicit faith content, you know, than than there used to be because it it, it doesn't fit the brand or it doesn't fit you know, the vision that they have for, for their platform. Um, when, when you begin exactly. to mix, right. Yeah. When you begin to mix kind of faith with culture in that way, or with, yeah, the pursuit of a platform, one of them is going to win out. 
uh, eventually. It's kind of the, you can't serve two masters dynamic, oh, I guess. Definitely. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Um, there's a, a, a pop, pop Christian-ish, new prosperity gospel-ish, uh, not totally off the, off the plank, but, but in route uh, in, in, in our <laughs> town. In our town, we had someone who went to our church for a while. Um, she, I, I had, she wasn't a member, but she had just attended regularly. And then she all of a sudden just disappeared. And I ran to her at a coffee shop and hadn't seen her in months. This is all pre-COVID. And I ran to her. I saw her. I said, hey, like, I haven't seen you in forever. Where have you been? And she goes, oh, well, did you hear that I came out? Uh, and I was like, oh, uh, no. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> imagine that moment at the coffee shop. You're just like, right. uh. <laughs> You're like, big gulps, huh? All right, catch you later, you know? But I, so I tried to think off my feet real quick. And I said, oh, okay. Um, all right, so, um, but so you're not going to come back anymore because of that? Like, what's that thing you come in to visit? And she said, well, you know, I, I know City Church's views on homosexuality, and I want to go somewhere that's affirming. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I said, I understand that. Okay, like, I wish... I wish you would still come, but like, I wish you'd honestly repent and follow the Lord. Uh, right. But, but that's not crazy to, to have that view that she's saying that, hey, I consider myself to be gay. Your church preaches a biblical sexual ethic, so I'm not going to go there anymore. Okay, like, I get it, in other words. Okay. So she told me where she was going to church now. And I looked at her and I said, I know that pastor really well. I grew up. You know, he believes the, that church believes the exact same things that we believe, <laughs> like the exact same things about, about that issue. And she was like, no way. I was like, yes. Why would I make that up? I was like, yeah, they believe. Sit down with them. They believe the exact, I promise you they do. But she had been going there for like six to eight months and had absolutely no idea. Right. Now, I'm not saying you have to preach on that topic every single week, but the fact that you could be a practicing homosexual, practicing, okay? Not someone struggling or trying to repent, practicing, who's fully affirmed that lifestyle and left our church because of our just position on that. Not even our preaching, it's our position. And then you go to another church because you think they affirm having no idea that they don't and thinking that, that's, I'm just like, that That to me is pop Christianity in a nutshell, yeah. is the fact that you're, I'm just using that as an example, but you're gonna hold to a lot of biblical views in your doctrinal statement if you sit somebody down one-on-one and ask them questions what they believe, those pastors, they'll, you'll probably walk around, walk out going, wow, we believe a lot of the same things. See, you know, mainly most of the same things, but on Sunday morning and in other areas of their church, you would never know it because they just don't go there on any issues because it's their whole gatherings. It's all in the name and all in the word of self-fulfillment, inspiration, don't rock the boat. Any rock, any boat we're going to rock is to get you more pumped up you know, to go do something greater. And as a result of that, we allow people who are living their lives uh, far from God to sit in our services and think nothing's wrong. Yeah, I've I've, I've long thought that th- that issue in particular, and probably just the, the the general you know biblical sexual ethic issue, including you know the transgender uh, question and all that sort of thing, um, is kind of the third rail for a lot of these attractional you know self helpy churches because. Um, if you ever did take a stance because you've been so, you know, you know, doctrineless or, <laughs> or, 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 you know, not addressing it or, you know, even getting close to something, you know, approaching it for so long, if, you know, for instance, one of these pastors said, uh, we, we are affirming or we are not affirming, you're going to lose a significant portion of your congregation. Cause you have people who, who will say if, you know, if, uh, they came out and said, hey, what, you know what, we're going to be open and affirming. You have people who attend the church who, you know, still have a traditional <laughs> ethic who would say, wait, what? I had no idea this was coming, you know, 
um, you know, all the, uh, uh, you know, the lack of doctrine and, and, and biblical teaching, you know, didn't clue me into the fact that this could be on the horizon. But if they came out and said, you know, we affirm the biblical, you know, teaching on homosexuality, you probably would like your friend have, uh, um, you know, quite a few people who would say, what? I thought you guys were, you know, so uh, positive and tolerant and I had no idea this was coming. So now, so now they'll never touch it because they have cultivated this sort of, you know, doctrineless, you know, amorphous boundary kind of view of, of, of the faith all along. Oh, yeah. In the book, I call them theologically agnostic. Okay. Like we, right. they just don't really know. I mean, they're not, they're not, I mean, they think theology is like just for a seminary classroom that's just divisive and what's, what's instead, let's go change people's lives. You know, that's kind of the idea. And they, they just, you don't know what they believe. You have no clue what they yeah. believe on really anything because they just don't talk about it. They're not preaching the books of the Bible. They're not listening up Christ above everything else. Uh, it really is this, you know, you go follow God by faith to a greater day and a greater tomorrow and unleash your potential and, you know, make your comeback into a setback. You know, that's, or you set back into a comeback. <laughs> right. Excuse me, that, that set back into a comeback. That, that's the messaging. It's going, what, what, what are we talking? We could replace, again, we could replace Oprah and give her a little more pizzazz on stage, like some more like, you know, preaching skills or whatever. And it would be the same messaging. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. But then we're going to sing songs about Jesus and the gospel in between. <laughs> That's right. what's wild to me. <laughs> yeah. Very confusing. You have a great story uh, that I love in your chapter on uh, the chapter is called Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is great. Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's about unmet expectations. But you tell this little story about speaking at a at a you know graduation event. And, <laughs> and you say something like, you, you've been told all week. That you have unlimited potential, and, and, and I'm here to tell you that's not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that didn't go over too well. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love yeah. it. So I, yeah. I actually once spoke at a uh, at a Christian school uh, commencement uh, as well, and it was junior high and high school all together. You know, it was one of those, and they each picked a theme, you know, theme verse, and uh, <laughs> so each, you know, the junior high had a theme verse, and the high school had a theme verse, uh, and and they asked if I would preach on the theme verses. Well. What do you want to guess these theme verses were? Right? I don't remember which was which, but one was Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, of course, and the other was Philippians four thirteen, <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah, you're you're a, a Psalm thirty seven four away from the trifecta, man. <laughs> That's right. So, and what I did was basically preach on suffering. I talked, you know, I, I put uh, Jeremiah twenty nine back in the sense of exile and what it means to live on mission and in in exile, and I put uh, the Philippians passage back in the context of. Uh, you know, the, the mission of suffering and everything. So I, I basically was trying to do the same thing. So I, it, it just warmed my heart when I read that you said, I'm here to tell you that's not true. Your potential is very limited. It is. <laughs> and that's okay. That's so I said, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that chapter, you're talking essentially about unmet expectations. And I know that, you know, that little story was essentially to set up that we need to be truth tellers so that we don't set people up for um, a kind of disappointment based on, uh, or disillusionment, you know, based on dishonesty, what, you know, what's the danger of unmet expectations? What is it in that chapter and beyond that you're, you know, trying to, uh, you know, guard, I guess, people against, especially young people, but, but really all believers. So it's easy to say the faith crisis side of things in terms of disappointment with God, and that is a big deal. But the one that I see more prevalent is discontentment. Yeah, And I'm seeing it where they can't hold a job. I'm seeing people have marriage problems out of the gates. 
uh, not because they're fighting or because they're incompatible or having money issues, but because like they feel like they're settling. Like this is not a abnormal occasion uh, for me to have a couple reach out to me. And I usually know it's coming because I've seen one of them on Instagram and it's been all like out of control selfies, always pictures at the gym, wellness quotes, 24 seven, you know, all, all these types of things. And then I just know and they reach out that something's going on. And what it is, is that you, a lot of times the, the spouse will say, you know, we just got married really young and he's a great dad. He's a great person. Like, I think he's a wonderful man. It's just, you know, I, I just think that God has something out there more for us. You know, we're just kind of fell out of love and I just, maybe we, we married the wrong people and it's just that kind of mindset. And I think it all comes, again, they use God language in it. They give credit to God for them that God wants them to get divorced or, you know, whatever yeah. it might be. Sometimes I've seen a lot of young people in our church never be satisfied with their jobs. Um, it just, just everything. There's just always something better around the corner and they use God language around it and it makes them just chronically discontent. And isn't it funny that they love Philippians 4.13, which is about how to be content. <laughs> Right, you know? right. <laughs> so, which is why context is king and why it matters for discipleship, right? Uh, but yeah, the faith crisis is, is the clear one where they're going to be disappointed with God when all the things that work out like they thought. But the one that's, I think, just more tangible and more of kind of not being talked about enough is the, the growing, just chronic discontentment. Yeah. So let's come back to that for God aspect of the... Um, yeah, the, the, you know, attempt great things because your antidote or your sort of redirective in, in the book is not um, just sort of give up and, and, you know, sit around and, and it's not a kind of passivity. You, you, you use the phrase godly ambition yeah. as kind of the alternative to this. What does that look like? What does that mean? What is it, you know, how is it different? And, um, and, and how would you encourage people? you know, the, you know, people to kind of pick that up as, as an alternative. So not that we should walk around paranoid, but I think we need to walk around aware, like very aware. There's a fine line between selfish ambition and Christ-centered ambition. I mean, there really is. And we, and again, I'm not asking people to walk around like paranoid 24 seven about which side of the line they're on. Uh, but man, it, it really, it's tough to navigate between the two. And when I read the scriptures, I see ambition mainly tied to the great commission. Is that's not passive at all, right? It's, it's, an, it's an active through the local church, making disciples be a part of what the Lord is doing through his people in terms of taking the gospel locally into the ends of the earth. And I, so I would hope people's ambition centers around that and using their gifts for God's glory. But that doesn't have to be done on a huge stage. That doesn't have to be done with fame or with notoriety or with followers or popularity. Because a lot of the messaging they talk about, it's almost like everyone wants to be famous. <laughs> and that's yeah. kind of the goal when they talk about it. It's all kind of in the context of that. But I want people to be full. I don't want people sitting on their couches going, we'll just wait till heaven. <laughs> you know, like, the, 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 I guess the best is yet to come is just heaven, and that's it. No, when Jesus, <laughs> when, when Jesus told us we do greater things, they love that, by the way. <laughs> when Jesus said do greater things, right. and they're going to sing about greater things, talk about greater things, they never give context to what that actually means. Like, what does greater things mean? Well, it's all tied to the Great Commission. You know, it, it's tied to Holy Spirit filled, uh, accomplishing the task that God has given us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that's what I want to see uh, that kind of ambition around. Like, I, I want people to, we want we Christians to make a lot of money. Yeah, we need a lot of Christians to make a lot of money. We have a mission to fund, right? I mean, like, <laughs> those things are great. Those, we need Christians to be educated and to be, uh, you know, uh, 
executive level suites and to have great internships. Yeah, all those kind of things. Why? Because we want Christians to be in the public square. You know, we want we want Christians to be in spheres of influence. No, no doubt. Not that we think God needs that. He doesn't need any of that. And that's the great refresher. Is when you realize that these things we want to do, that God needs none of that, but by his grace, he'll use that. And I think that's just kind of the getting over yourself reality check is that the, the church has been here long before me. And until Christ comes back, you know, the church on earth will be here long after me you know, until we're, you know, so I just think that kind of stuff, it's, it's not, it really isn't up to us. And I know that sounds so basic and elementary, but how often does this messaging and the way we function act like that all these things are up to us? Yeah. And, and, and we just got to reject that thinking. Uh, that's that's really wise. And I, and I think it's a pastoral as well to not just say, you know, the 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 response or the solution to this is um, to kind of, you know, tamper down any sense of ambition or, you know, or, or the imperatives, you know, of the Bible or anything like that. But simply to to, you know, have them kind of put back in the context of Christ finished work and. Yes. And channeled, yeah, rechanneled according to um, according to the Great Commission and according to the glory of God, which is uh, another reason why I'm thankful uh, for the book. And and I'm glad. I mean, you know, you you have. I know it's not entirely. I know your church is is uh, you know you've been around for a while and you're growing, but you have a significant ministry to college students and young adults. Um, and and I don't know if they're still the majority of of your church or not, but um, and you know I know that's a significant and substantive part of your ministry are are you seeing this new prosperity thing um you know having legs or do you think actually um you know, you know there's some optimism for the younger generation that we ought to have um just kind of yeah project for us into the future a little yeah. bit if you don't mind so i what actually fueled me being passionate about this topic and really just having a lot of just angst towards this new prosperity gospel it's everywhere i can name 20 names right now you know, pastors and podcast guys and Instagram guys and all this kind of stuff. It's because we have so many cautions, young adults, and a lot of them come in the door. And that is the only exposure they've had so far to Christianity outside of their, you know, home church they checked out of when they were 15, you know, mentally or whatever kind of thing is that it's just those guys, they come in and they are all about that group. And what happens when they see the real thing, not that we're the, you know, have the market on the real thing, but when we just preach the good news and are just through the scriptures and have a Christ-centered hermeneutic and call people away from themselves into the Lord, it's almost this like scales come off their eyes. You can feel them just go, oh, <laughs> it's like this is the real thing. And then we see them just become so on fire for the Lord. We almost have to like chill them out a little bit because they almost become like, you know, have swords in their hand and bazookas to go after the new prosperity gospel. Right. Great, I just wrote a book about it, but still, I guess, I guess it doesn't come to them. <laughs> you know, it, it, they came from somewhere in their lives, but I do influence them away from it. Uh, but so, so we see that happen. But what got me passionate about it was that's their exposure usually in the door because they're just, I mean, we're all on our phones. We watch YouTube videos, we watch Instagram stories. And those are the guys that are doing that really well in terms of using those kind of things. Those guys know how to leverage technology to build their platform. That's what it's about, right? It's about their platform in that world. Uh, so I'm not the most encouraged person in the world because I still see the amount of people who are drawn to it and the amount of churches that then church planters, again, mainly outside of our tribes that start to drift towards that. And I think we can be unaware of it sometimes. We're just not exposed to it. So I'll see like a ton of seminary graduates, you know, from uh, one of our evangelical seminaries. And the captions always like people are worried about the next generation. I want to show them this picture. 
and tell them not to be. I'm like, yeah, amen. That's great. But Stephen Furtick has a million something Instagram followers. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, people were at passion and thought that, you know, Carl Lentz is the greatest thing ever. (laughs) Like it's just like that, that kind of stuff, you know, like, so there's, there's, you know, there's not, there's a whole lot more people at that than there are at the gospel coalition conference. And, and, and until we, and I think we have to have to be aware of that and continue to show people the real thing over and over again, and also guard our people and protect them from being exposed to that messaging. So I'm like probably on the legalistic and I'll, I'll admit that, but I'm just going to be cautious here and how I'm going to, I'm responsible for the church that I'm one of the elders at, and that I have the title of lead pastor at. And so we don't even do songs by those kind of churches. Uh, because we just, we, one, we think there's enough great songs out there. We don't have to do those songs in those churches. We're not like suffering because of it or missing out. But two, I don't want to expose our church to those. I'm not saying everyone has to do that. Again, I don't think that's a rule for every church. But for us, I know how, the, how our people would, like who are college young adults, they're going to see the, whatever it's called, CCL, CCLI at the bottom. And they're going to look at that, go, they're going to love the songs. They're going to go, you know, check it out. Before long, they're going to be visiting their website and listening to sermons from that pastor. And I want to give royalties to those guys yeah. <laughs> on top of yeah. that. But so I'm just being really because I really think it's a thing, and that's why I wrote the book. Not I don't just give a critique of it the whole time. I really try to give answers. You know, like here's yeah. what here's what here's what God has that actually is better for us, and that's Himself. Or that's life with God and you know, being His people. You know, being adopted into His family through Christ. Like that's the good stuff. Like what is. We're told that Jesus told us that he has life, wants us to have life more abundantly. That's Jesus saying that. Okay, great. Well, what does that mean? You know, we're talking about those things in Christ. And so I think we have to give good solutions to not just go, this is a problem. But unless we identify it as a problem and are unafraid to pick it apart, not in a nitpicky way, but just in a, hey, here's what it is, then we're going to have a hard time protecting our people from it. And what makes it hard, maybe even anxious writing the book, is anytime you push back against it, there's always a crowd that thinks you're being disunified. Yeah, you know, things are being too, you know, kind of seminary guy or too heady or just too technical or, you know, always have a problem with everything or the yeah, but guy. That's not what this is. This is going. This is a very prominent messaging and belief system and church style structure, everything in our country right now. A lot of people are being led astray by it. And we have to make sure that we're going not this, but not that. But this this is what God has for us. It's so much better. Yeah, I'm 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 grateful for uh books like this because it it kind of takes you know first of all this is such a a predominant thing and 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 it's kind of, you know, part of the zeitgeist right now evangelical and otherwise. But you 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 take a book like Carl Truman's Triumph of the Modern Self and you know, I read that and you know, was helped by it, it was informative, but it, you know, and I know it wasn't the aim of the book, so it's not anything, it's not a knock against him at all. But I, when I got to the end, I thought, okay, what then? <laughs> you know, what's the, yeah. what's the solution? Or, or, or how do you take this and, and put it in a, you know, package that the average believer will actually read it and, and, and see themselves or at least their own community or their own culture in it. And, you know, a book like yours, um, you know, a couple months ago, Trevin Wax's book, um, I just think there's just great assets to equipping the church. So the book is called Getting Over Yourself, Trading Believe in Yourself Religion for Christ-Centered Christianity. 
Getting Over Yourself. It's out from Moody Publishers. Author is Dean and Sarah. Brother, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. Hey, thanks. And getting over myself is my life goal, man. So one of these days, I'm gonna <laughs> one of these days I'm gonna get there. So I'm inviting everybody yeah. to join me. Join me on that quest. <laughs> yeah. Well, and me, Jared, I appreciate yeah, absolutely. It. And listener, get over yourself and leave us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, whatever platform you procure your audio listening pleasures on. Give us a good review. Every little bit helps. And until next time. May Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.